Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin, the show where I invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. I'm Melissa, your host. Today I'm chatting with Emily. She is an anti-porn activist and sexual abuse educator. Um, she actually has a really cool, not a, I won't say a cool story, but a really interesting story. Um, she's a former photographer for Playboy magazine. So as you can imagine, her being anti-porn now, she has a few things that she really has to say about this. I've learned a lot from this um, episode, and there's also some great tips that she gives to help teach our children how to be aware of predators and to help um, with anti-porn and child pornography rings and human trafficking as well. So I really hope that you really enjoy this chat, and I really want to thank you for tuning in and listening. So you know what I need you to do right now? That's right. Start listening. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another edition of Chats from the Blog Cabin. Today, I have a very unusual guest. We actually connected, what, last week or so, I think, is when we actually finally connected. And it was like, I have to have her on. She's a former Playboy photographer who's now an anti-porn activist and sexual abuse prevention educator. So Emily, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Uh, I mean, that's, that's the most interesting thing about me, honestly. <laughs> um, but I'm a mom, I'm a stepmom. Uh, life is really funky with a lot of hurts. Um, yeah, and I teach parents mostly. I'm creating curriculum for kids, um, how to keep their kids safe from sexual abuse. And I'm obviously an expert about how to talk about pornography. And I have a little bit of an inside line on um, why we need to talk to our kids about pornography and kind of the global effect of all of that. So yeah, that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> So how long did you work for Playboy? You know, um, I was a freelance photographer. So when I say that I worked for Playboy, that was, I took gigs from Playboy, essentially. So the stuff that I did, and I know this is going to be not as exciting what everybody hopes, um, was really tame. And I think we, anybody who's seen pornography can actually agree that uh, Playboy is like almost like a euphemism for it's like softcore porn, which doesn't even exist anymore. Um, so I worked with I worked with them. I guess it was in t- it was t- in two thousand eight, like flashing back to economic disaster, <laughs> and um, it was during a time when advertising and marketing were getting their budgets cut, and that was my bread and butter. Like I worked for Rachel Ray doing some of her marketing stuff. And um, I photographed Bill Gates at Bungie Studios, you know, in tons of magazines and ad agencies. And all of those were like, you know, tapering off their budgets. And I got a call from Playboy and I was like, yes, this is awesome. That's, I was all about, you know, collecting big names for my resume. Um, and it was, it was an interesting period of time because I was also doing a product shots for a uh, store, a sex positive store called um, Self Serve. I won't forget the name of it. How could you forget Self Serve as a sex toy yeah. 
shop. Um, but it was sex positive. So I was essentially photographing sex toys. And then I got this job at Playboy. And then during that time, I also had a roommate who was really involved in um, the drag king shows where the women dress up as men. And um, it was just this really odd submersion into um uh, I don't know what you would what what you would even call that, but like kind of alternative sexual stuff, um, but in a positive way. And the turn it what happened in the, the with the Playboy stuff is uh, while I was photographing them, and it wasn't like it, there was violence, there wasn't anything like that. And to be honest, Playboy was one of the most respectful communities of people as far as business goes that I've worked in. And I've worked on fashion and various other things where they were not nearly as respectful to me as a woman and um, the models or anything like that. So we can just, that's not really what turned me off to pornography. Um, what it was is there was there was one, one girl, I mean, in general, the girls were not as empowered as I felt like they would be. In my mind, I had really bought into this feminist idea about sex workers that that was, you know, if they wanted to do that, that was their choice. They were using their physical prowess to make money and that was, that was their power and they could do that. And what I saw though, um, there was some of the girls that were buying drugs and they just were not, the people that I thought were in control of what was going on. And then there was another, there was one particular girl and this one, this is really what triggered it is she had a look in her eyes, in her being. And I've seen this look, I had seen that look before and I, I couldn't quite place it, but it was almost, it was like, seeing somebody's ghost inside. I don't know how to explain that. And I do years later, I could, and now I know exactly what it is, but uh, I processed the photos. And when you're editing, there's no, there's no sound, there's no smells, there's nothing. There's just this pure microsecond cot. And when you're doing photography, you just have that odd stillness where you catch moments that people try and hide. Um, Long story short, um, that look is what people have after when they've been sexually abused as kids. Mm. It is trauma. It is absolutely trauma. And until you have been around people who have been traumatized by sexual abuse, you can't really see it. But once you see it, it's obvious. You can see it from a mile away. It's um, you know like a hundred yard stare kind of a situation or there's this um, arrested development that kind of happens where you're like, this person is totally stuck in this weird part in the seventies or the eighties. And that's because that's when the trauma happened and they, they really are stuck in that period of time. Um, yeah. So I went home, I processed the photos, I sent them out, I put my camera away and I never picked it up again. Wow. And yeah, it just, I was done. And um I was angry that I had taken a job from a company like Playboy and that I had potentially 
victimized this person. I was a part of it. And kind of leading up to that, all the girls' bodies that I had photoshopped, all the models that I had worked with and just it's just part of the industry get out there do this you know suck your gut in like tuck your butt in or this is a better model than that all of that like putting makeup on to disguise who they are or whatever um not disguise who they are but like change their appearance to fit a specific niche of beauty i would it just done that was the straw that broke the camel's back so wow yeah, there's that. Any <laughs> pushback by not working with them again? Mm. Say that one more time. Did you get any pushback by not working with them, saying, nope, sorry, I can't work with you anymore? You know, not really. There was a little bit of talk about me being a kind of a preliminary photographer scout for them. And there was one was one gal that I spoke to and I was like, so you want to go into pornography? Okay. So let's talk about the trajectory of this. How is this going to work? You know, you're not, you're not Dolly Parton now, or you're not a famous actor now posing for, for Playboy. You're starting from nothing and you're thinking pornography is going to take you up. This is how this is going to go. This is the trajectory. This is soft core. It's only going to get harder. It's only going to get worse. Um, once the line of morality is crossed, which it is in the realm of pornography, there is no line. Mm -hmm. It's not like you're in a space where people have a, a social code of what is okay and what is not okay. You've crossed, you cross that line and, um, what is allowed and isn't allowed within that circle is, um, up to, up to chance. You're just entering in to a different space of society that is not going to treat you well. So you put away your camera and then did you immediately pick up your, I want to say your armor and start fighting against um, the anti-porn and become an anti-porn activist and sexual abuse prevention educator or did, did it's you a mouthful, right? <laughs> or did you take some time? Uh, it took, it took a while. It was actually after I had my daughter and I, really was learning about the sex trafficking. And I, the only way to explain it is it was kind of a God moment. And I was in the bathtub and the water was draining out and I had been kind of searching, like, what do I do? What do I do with myself? I'm a mom. I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which if anybody knows, it's kind of like Crohn's. So like, it's a horrible existence. So I'm like, who am I in this? And I just got this, like, here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to stop this. <laughs> and um, I was like, no, that's not, no, not no, hell no. <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm not the person for this. I don't have, I'm not a therapist. Um, I don't have a degree in psychology. Like, how am I going to stop the world from sexually assaulting children? I'm, I'm not going to go bust into people's houses like the Underground Railroad does. And um, physically, I'm not capable. And as a mom, my husband travels 75% of the time, pretty much a solo mom. And I said, no, absolutely not. Forget about it. And it just kept coming back. And I realized that what I have, I have marketing, I have a degree in fine art and design, I have communication, I've been in advertising and media from forever. And that's nothing that the therapists have. 
Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it, it was just an eye opener. I just thought <laughs> that um, the therapists don't have the bandwidth for, you know, and they're not, they were educated in that realm. And that's, um, I'm kind of the missing link between the public and the therapist on how to prevent this stuff. Wow. (laughs) So you said, talked about how soon after your daughter was born, did you come to this realization though? Um, I guess she was a couple, she was a couple years old, I think. Um, yeah, she was a. I think she was a couple years old. And um, there's a gal named Feather Burkauer, and she teaches. I think her her site is called uh, Safe Parenting. Sorry, Feather, I'm totally missing it. Anyway, she taught about how to teach kids how to use uh, the pr- proper anatomy of their bodies, and as a defense. Um, and because it's very shocking for predators to have a child say accurately, you touched my vulva, my nipples, my whatever. Um, It's shocking. I mean, it's even shocking to hear those words probably on Facebook right now. So uh, I taught my daughter uh, much the horror of grandparents and everybody else. And my mom and my daughter were on the couch one time and my mom, just being grandma, she's my, my daughter's pants were kind of sagging low. And so she put her finger, you know, on the, in the back of my daughter's pants and, and kind of gave her a little tug, um, totally friendly. Like it wasn't, hmm. you know, it was just a grandma thing, you know? And my daughter said, take your finger out of my rectum. And <laughs> the whole room <laughs> was kind of like, whoa. <laughs> and it was this, that was a very innocent situation, but it stopped all of us in our tracks. You know, what is going on here, you know? So that was really my first seeing that this is powerful. It is super powerful to have kids use accurate words. It's shocking. Um, and I just dove more and more into it. And um, yeah, the, the rest is history. <laughs> wow. So let's talk about how you can talk to your kids about sexual predators. Okay, so this this is one of the problems that I ran into as a, a mom. You know, you've got this sweet, innocent child, and you don't want to tell them that there's people that's, that are out there that are going to come and hurt them. I mean, that just does not need to be part of their world, you know, obviously. So the challenge is how how do we protect them when we're not with them but also preserve their innocence. So what I do and what I teach is um, when you talk to kids about predators, the, when they start, when they're really little, take them to the zoo, when you're reading books about animals, um, you can even talk about if their thing is dinosaurs, you say stalking, luring, and mimicking. So you just point out those traits of predators in the natural world. Mm. So, um, with my daughter, when the, we need to get the dog inside and she's just on a tirade outside, I said, get something she really wants and lure her into the house. 
So luring is part of our regular vocabulary um, and stalking. You know, there's a cat and it's stalking. What is it? What is it? What is it doing? It's laying low so it can't be seen and it's sneaking up on the bird or the other cat or, you know, the feather toy. Um, and then mimicry or mimicking is any kind of camouflage. Anytime you see um, the stingray is mimicking the gravel so it can, you know, so it doesn't get hurt or the, the leopard is mimicking, you know, whatever the cheetah's spots kind of mimic the savanna, you know, so you yeah. can't see them. And they're really pretending to be something they're not. So you just start with that predator vocabulary. And then as they get older, like usually, you know, uh, in different thought fields around education, you know, kids kind of come into their brain around seven. Mm -hmm. And that's when usually we're giving them more freedom. They're having more play dates. You're not as cautious as you were when they're three, you know, they're not, mm -hmm. you know, they might be able to cross the road by themselves. And anyways, they've got more freedom and they're a lot more social. So animals aren't their whole world anymore. Like they were, mm -hmm. their social world starts to become more interesting to them. And that's when you can introduce the idea of humans as being predators as well. So you could take them to Cabela's or Bass Pro Shop and look at all the lures and the camouflage and how the, the people can, you know, stock the animals mm -hmm. and then just say people, people can be predators too. They can, they can hurt other people. We have to be careful, you know, and just kind of gently have this ongoing conversation. And then the thing I love about this as well is it applies so well to the internet. The mm -hmm. stalking, the luring and the mimicking. Are they pretending to be something they're not? Could they? easily. Are they stalking you? Are you providing them with enough information where they can follow you? They can be laying low, just watching you. Um, and yeah, are they luring you? The modeling job, the trick for the game. Um, there's all kinds of things. Do they have something you want really bad? Then is there a chance they might be luring you? Yes. So that's uh, that's how I like to do it is start young and it's just this kind of ongoing conversation. And it helps when parents are like, oh, my gosh, how do I do this? It's not it's mm -hmm. it's not a big sit down thing. You can just point it out. Oh, yeah. Look at the zookeepers luring the seals into the whatever. Wow. It's super easy. Right. <laughs> yeah, but I honestly, I don't think I've ever heard of that approach before, though. Well, it's it's my own invention. <laughs> <laughs> because honestly, you hear parents talking about scaring their kids, don't go with stranger danger, and all this other stuff. And basically, it's putting the fear into them. Yeah. If they know the signs to look for, they know that they can uh, they can go out and still enjoy being around nature or being in, in, in their own life, but still be aware of the, some of the dangers, but not be hyper- alert all the time on everything. So let's talk about stranger danger. I love this because stranger danger, I actually encourage parents and I encourage my daughter to speak to strangers. It's very important that they have the ability to speak. I mean, it is a, it's an absolutely a life skill, you know? Um, and there's a lot, I mean, I know you had the sex trafficking uh, folks talking about that on your show. Mm -hmm. 
One of the things that I've found is now that everybody is woke to the sex trafficking, we are so scared of our kids leaving the house. Mm -hmm. And I am statistically, it is safer for them to be out in a pack. If they're out with, we, we had a little pack. My daughter was in like six kids and a dog and they would just like tear around the neighborhood. Um, then for them to be on their devices inside of their room, inside of the house, it is, we've got this, we've got to really understand that the human experience is more than just being safe. And this watching over the kids constantly is not setting them up for success. And you're not necessarily protecting them like you think you are. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I only leave them with people I know and trust. I'm like, of course, I hope you don't leave your children with people you don't trust. <laughs> I mean, this is like parenting 101. <laughs> um, but those are the people who have access to your kids. That's why it's usually family and friends and acquaintances that abuse the kids. So and here's a, here's another thing I, I want people to understand, too, about protecting their kids is we are not wired to think like predators. We do not have the ability to see uh, predator activity and instinctually know that that's what's going on because we don't think like sexual predators. We are not child molesters, child abusers. So that's not it's our brains just don't even go there. We can't compute. Um, and that's why we need to be educated on how to do this and don't rely on your intuition because that is why there's this portal for people, you know, to get into your life and you're like, oh, but it's, you know, even, even grandpas, this happens a lot where they don't, men may not touch their step kids or step touch grandkids, you know, so it's not, don't lean on your own understanding. You've got to kind of cut that a little bit and look at statistics. Um, I know this is going to be really, really unpopular, but I really don't recommend you leaving your kids with males mm. unless it's, you know, it's a father figure. Um, I just, you just look at statistics. If we were to follow numbers, it's no, no judgment. Um, there are so many amazing men out there, but if this is something you're really concerned with, really watch, um, don't leave them with teen boys, um, that kind of stuff. There's a lot of mistakes that are made that way because people want to be so open-minded and non-judgmental and, um, this is not the time to be doing that. Wow. Truth bombs. <laughs> Truth bombs. But we do have a comment. Um, I think it was talking about showing the signs. This, 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 that is a great idea. Show the signs. Love it. I mean, honestly, yeah. If you start talking to your kids early enough, that they'll understand and they won't be so scared to experience life. Yeah. And here's here's another thing that I like to do. Um, I mean, I don't know if everybody knows the general body safety rules. Um, you know, nobody touches anything under me, underneath my swimsuit, um, obviously private parts. Right. Um, but I want to add some other things to this. And these are good things to tell your kids early on. The mouth is also private. 
Mm -hmm. um, nobody is allowed to take pictures of my private parts. Nobody is allowed to show me pictures of other people's private parts. These are kind of taking it a step up because now everybody's got phones. I mean, even, you know, seven-year-olds have phones um, and kids showing each other pornography and that kind of stuff is really common and it's mm -hmm. going to happen to your kids probably. Um, but you want them to come to you right away and say, hey, somebody showed me pictures of private parts. So you can make sure that that doesn't become a core memory for them. So you drop them off at a friend's house or something like that and just say, hey, remember your body safety rules. And um, another thing I like to do, which is, you know, I get a, I get quite a bit of pushback on this one. People are really uncomfortable with it. But um, I tell people, I have an easy out. I tell people when Nola's at a, a play date, just so you know, I teach sex abuse prevention. So Nola's pretty woke about that. So if her vocabulary is a little advanced, um, that's why. Just to give you a heads up. And she knows her body safety rules and all that stuff. So people freak out. They're like, I am not going to tell somebody when I drop my kid off that my, that they need, you know, about the body safety rules. And I'm like, but, um, it's really great to know that you've done everything you can to keep them safe. And if you do it in a good way, what I suggest to you is they go, Hey, I, we just took this body safety course, on sexual abuse prevention thing. So their vocabulary is interesting right now. So just, you know, if any of that comes up, you know, just kind of make it a joke. Um, and so they know the rules about their body and, um, yeah, just so, you know, I thought I'd give you a heads up. That's another way to like, whatever I know, you know, you know, we're, we're all on the same page here. And then if there is a predator in the house, your kid is not an easy target. Yeah. You, a predator will not target a kid that has a distinct vocabulary and a woke family because they know they will get caught. They're looking for the family that's wildly distracted, single moms, single dads, people who are not paying attention um, and are just like, okay, whatever, see you later. Those are, those are the prime targets. So you got to really watch out for that. Now I want to know, what are the reactions to these parents when you drop your daughter off, when you say things like that? Um, you know, it's been nothing but positive. I mean, for me, it's easy. It's easy because they're like, oh, that's really cool. You teach sex abuse for a child. Um, it, it, here, here's what I would say. If there was an odd reaction to it, um, I would probably drop them off for a hot minute and then come back and be like, I'm sorry, something came up and yeah. I would take them out of the house. Um, I have found that if you, if you're in tune to reading body language, somebody who um, responds in anger, that is a red flag. If they're, um, a, you know, we'll be teaching a, a sex abuse prevention class at a church or something like that. And if there is somebody that's angry and adamant, it's usually male. Um, I will, I will personally investigate mm. because that is the biggest, they can't stand it. They can't stand hearing that they can't, that's not true. Um, there's something there. That's your, that's your signal that you've just hit a hot button for them. So, but I've never, had any, I've never had anybody when I'm dropping my kids off do anything, or my daughter off doing anything negative. They're always like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Us too. 
I was you just know? wondering if maybe you maybe got some kind of shocked looks like, oh my gosh, you're already talking about this with your, well, you said your daughter was what, seven now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've been doing, well, I would say grandparents, uh, there's the grandparents will give you pushback all day long about you. You shouldn't be, I've been told by my family, you shouldn't talk to her about this stuff. You shouldn't, that's, that's okay. And a lot of people are going to get that from their grand, from grandparents in the older population because they have no idea. They have no idea what's going on and that's okay. Um, they don't know how to put parental controls on their devices and, a lot of kids actually get exposed to pornography at grandma and grandpa's house just because of that. Mm. Um, and they've gotten cousins and everybody's got their phones there. And um, it's, yeah, there's that. <laughs> well, you brought up, you brought up a good subject about children being exposed to pornography. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So um this right now is probably the number one thing that I deal with um, as far as people calling. I do coaching. And, you know, again, I'm not I'm not a therapist, but I'm an expert on how to talk to kids about pornography and how to um, help them process it in a, a better way. And I'm not talking to the kids. I'm talking to the parents. So the parents have a grip of what they need to understand to do this themselves. Um, but the one, number one problem we have is kids being exposed to pornography and then acting it out on other kids in the house or friends. And this is seriously tricky. And this is why people usually end up calling me because as you know, essentially if a child sees pornography at a young age, they have been sexually abused. Mm. I just want to make that as a blanket statement. If your child has seen pornography, they need to go to a play therapist. You need to not just hide this or, Oh, it's something they'll forget. Um, this is a core memory for them now. Um, and the more help you get for them, the sooner, the better, just like any other physical injury or traumatic thing that happens, the better off they'll be. Um, so you have one child that's been traumatized by pornography and then they've acted it out in another kid. So you have two abused kids. Um, if they go, they could potentially be put on the sex offenders list. Mm -hmm. There's kids as young as seven that's on the list and you can never come off of it. Wow. Um, or if that's how it was last time I checked, we've got things switch and it's, uh, different for different States, but that's a lifelong sentence. It's a big deal to be put on a sex offenders list. Um, so how do they keep the kids safe while they live in the same house? Um, just things like that. So if the child on child uh, abuse or assault is absolutely skyrocketing right now, it's insane. Mm -hmm. they, they see stuff and they act it out. It's totally innocent for them. That's their, um, it's normal for them. So wow. that's, that's the number one thing. I know people are kind of like, oh, we don't have our safeguards on our phone or our kid. He never, you know, he's really good. He follows the rules. Your kids are good. Even if they do look up porn, it's got nothing to do with how good your kid is. I stumble across stuff and I'm like, whoa, that's not, I was getting my hair done. And I was like, this is when I was, you know, wanted bangs, like some COVID bangs or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking up pictures of bangs and there it is. I was like, that's not the kind of bang I was looking for. <laughs> wow. Like, come on. 
You know, it, it's stuff like that happens all the time. If you're on Instagram, um, Pinterest, I usually think of Pinterest as, you know, my little crafty place to go, but it's, mm -hmm. it's got some crafty stuff in different ways. Um, so yeah, good kids. It's not, it's not a good kid, bad kid thing at all. Oh, and I do have, um, brought some resources. So this is, uh, uh, pictures by Kristen Jensen. This is a really good introductory book for young kids. So it doesn't talk about pornography. It just talks about that there's pictures we like, like pictures of us at Disneyland or whatever. And then there's pictures that are not as good for us as the other pictures. And there's like a little hidden camera throughout it. And it's, it's really simple, really basic, but it's a, just a super easy introduction to how to talk about pornography with them. And then when they get older, this is more of a workbook. Um, mm. And she's done a really good job about diving into addiction and why your brain seeks out novelty and all that good stuff. Wow. I love how you're sharing resources as well. I'm actually typing. Oh, I have a, I have a huge pile. <laughs> I'm actually typing them in right now so that okay. people know. <laughs> so... Wow. I just, you have dropped a lot of <laughs> truth on us. And so you can definitely tell you're very passionate about this. So we talked about, I totally forgot some of the things that we said we were going to talk about. Oh, I, um, list, I, so. I remember because I took some notes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. One of the, uh, one of the other things that I wanted your audience to know is, um, you know, again, we were talking about the kids seeing pornography and then acting out on another kid. So what that is, is if there is sexual abuse, you, you're, the signs of a child being sexually abused, one of them, besides the physical signs, is very adult sexual behavior. So things that are not playing doctor, you know, not kind mm -hmm. of like, oh, we have these parts and they feel weird, like very advanced, stay like pretending oral sex or something like that, or using really adult sexual words mm -hmm. besides the anatomy conversations that you've had. So people tend to take this too far and they get really freaked out over little things super quick. Um, or um, they want to, uh, interject things that they're like, oh, this is sexual and this is inappropriate or whatever. So what I do is I have something called it's not my wine. And think about wine. This is, it's aged. It's had, it's had however long, I'm not a really a wine person, but like years, mm -hmm. years in different barrels and different soil that the grapes grew in. You know, if they cheated and add some sugar or whatever. Like there's all these different elements that gives you I mean, hundreds of thousands of different varieties of wine. And it's taken a long time for it to get that specific flavor. That is your adult sexuality. Mm. That is you. Now, when we talk about kids and we talk about their sexuality, it's literally the grape on the vine. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we project that, that what kids are doing is over-sexualized. 
but that's because our brain, okay, so a good example is um, somebody was like, my kid was pointing out that my dog had private parts and da, 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 and it's freaking me out and I don't want them. They seemed interested in the dog and that had parts. That's you projecting into the fact that you know that there's a word called bestiality and you're freaking out that your kid is like, no. And he's like, oh, dogs have private parts and private parts are funny. Like, Mm -hmm. They're just grapes. <laughs> They're just noticing it's a completely different thing. And so when something does happen in the house, you need to take a serious step back and go, what am I projecting on this because of my very complex experiences that I've had? Um, and, all, and that calms people down a little bit about when to freak out and when I actually don't ever freak out. <laughs> Yeah. Always stay calm. Stay calm. <laughs> I know. I work. I work at a local farm. It's an agritourism farm, and there's a male donkey. And oh gosh, sometimes the male I know. Donkey I think I even know where this is going. <laughs> it's feeling very like, and there's not a female around, so the kids were asked, "What's this?" And so one of the teachers just said, "Oh, it's another leg," <laughs> instead of just actually saying, "You know, it's it's just part of your body." Yeah. So I think that's part of why people, I think people are so scared to talk about it with their kids too, as well, because it's the talk, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And if we could, it's what well, I do, you know, if you've got, if you've got a kid that's, a, you know, likes to use potty words, which is my daughter, for whatever reason, I have a seven-year-old daughter that's, she's just like a boy. She talks about that kind of stuff. Um, she'll say something, you know, some potty word and, or this is, or they've got this or whatever. And you go, oh yeah, they've got eyes too. And I've got eyes and you've got ears. And is there anything weirder than nostril hair? Or you just, every time they come up with that potty word, you just come back, you know, like, it's really not that funny. And you just diffuse it like that. My daughter yelled vagina at the Thanksgiving day table. Um, and I just, I yelled nostril back. I was like, so eyebrows, eyelashes, other weird things, you know, <laughs> like my great grandma was like, what is going on? And they're like, sometimes you need to tell her the appropriate time to say it. <laughs> did, they, did you get that talk? Yeah, she was, I mean, she was really young when she did it. So she was, she was trying it out. And um, I was like, just don't give it energy. If it's, if it's a big deal, they're going to be doing it all the time. Okay. You know? But I was like, everybody just look away, be quiet. Don't laugh. <laughs> so now moving on a little bit, I know, cause you were talking about cell phones earlier and not everything oh, yeah. has a cell phone. Like how about the ones that actually they're coerced to take pictures of themselves? Oh my gosh. Either their friends or their boyfriends or even to someone they just met online. And then they in turn, are being charged with an offense because it's child porn. Yes. So this, thankfully people are, you know, uh, they're kind of waking up to the fact that sexting is unfortunately a new norm. Mm. Um, you're not going to be, the kids are doing it. Um, you know, tagging them as a sexual predator is, a burden to the system and every kid in a high school, if they got a picture and passed it on to another person, they're not distributing child pornography. Like these are not the people we need to be going after. It's, um, it's a misuse of the system. So 
they they're they're waking up to that. But um, one resource I do have for you is um, it's the Gab. Let me see. I wrote them what their actual website was. Um, it's just gabwireless.com, G-A-B. And it is a smart, quote unquote, smartphone, especially looking phone. It looks like a smartphone. It's got like rinky-dink little games in it. I don't know if they're rinky-dink. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that sounds negative, but it's got little games in there. It can take pictures, but you can't send them. Oh, which is really important um, because that's where they get into a lot of trouble. The company went and they asked principals at schools and they said, what's, what's the biggest problem? And that was the big thing is sharing images. Um, they can text and they can call. It's not hooked up to the internet. So you've got no social media. They're not do- downloading apps. They can text their friends. They can call their friends, um, but they're not downloading pornography which is basically what most kids are doing. If, if your kid has a smartphone, um, they're downloading pornography for sure. Wow. Or watching it. They don't even have to download it. Yeah. School buses, school buses um, are the stuff that goes on in school buses is pretty, would scare us (laughs) quite a bit. (laughs) Um, It's just, it's pretty normal for all kids to watch pornography. So one thing um, on that topic, you know, people are going to be wanting to talk to their teenagers and like, how do you talk about that? And I think um, one of the best things that in the conversations I've had with teens about pornography is, you know, there's they're very in tuned right now to gender issues, um, whether somebody is uh, trans or cisgender or heteronorm and being bi, pan, or, you know, all of these things. Oh, hi, Jessica. <laughs> um, they, uh, now I'm distracted. I'm thinking about Jessica. Um, but to, to point out to them that voyeurism is one of these uh, types of sexuality and that it is a it is a small part mm. I, this is but this is life is a sex is amazing intimacy is amazing your first kiss is incredible like this is like like our god given right to be sexual with other with other people in healthy normal committed relationships and to be a voyeur like looking through people's windows and watching other people have sex. That's straight up weird. Like for that many people to be like committed to voyeurism as opposed to like, there's a lot of other things you can do, (laughs) you know, why are you, why are you committing to this? This is weird. You're watching other people have sex. That's weird. Yeah, that is weird. (laughs) Right. If you know, like if you were looking in somebody's window, like that's, that's creepy that's creepy, you know? And uh, the word pornography actually comes from, you know, prostitution. It's, you're watching prostitution. Come on, we can do better. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot better things to be doing with our time. So there's that. Wow, you've like blown my mind. (laughs) Just to thinking about it like that, you know, when you don't really, most people don't really, think about it like that. They don't attune the voyeurism part with the pornography part. They don't 
think about it. So right. now it's just like, boom, blow your mind. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's one of the weirder things that I've experienced since I've kind of taken this on is a lot of sex educators um, that go into the public schools and create the curriculum. They have a, what they call I mean, it's, it's a no shame approach to pornography. I agree. If we have shame, it goes into hiding and that's how addictions start. And it's extremely unhealthy. I get that, but it's not something that should be considered, um, acceptable. I hate that people are like, Oh, it's totally normal. Um, I think that word normal is, you know, is giving permission that this is what everybody does and not everybody does this and you have a choice. Um, and you're not weird if you don't watch porn. I think that's where when you say it's normal, then you're not normal if you don't watch porn. So um, they, a, a lot, not all uh, sex educators want kids, uh, think that kids watching pornography, especially in junior high and high school, it is uh, a safe way for them to explore their sexuality. Um, so this is a really narrow way of thinking about it because they're saying they're not going to get pregnant. They're not going to get STDs. They can explore being bisexual without, you know, really diving into it. And I think that there's a better way to look at it. And the fact that um, when you do watch pornography, especially when your sexuality is developing, it is specifically steering you away from your authentic sexuality. So your authentic sexuality is meeting some other crazy person. If you guys want to dress up like monkeys and decorate your house like a jungle, great. That's your thing. That's what life is about. Mm -hmm. Like find your freak and learn about who you are, your unique self. And when you watch pornography, you are really taking that on. Um, as your identity. And there's, I know I'm like, I might be giving a little bit too much information for fo folks out there. So somebody tell me to stop it in the comments. Um, but there's something called um, arousal non-concordance. And Emily Nagoski wrote in Come As You Are, she wrote about it. That's where I first heard about it, is when somebody sees something sexual, it doesn't have to be something that they're interested in. The body responds and will send blood to the genitals and there's signs of arousal, whether it's something you're into or not. And I think when Emily wrote about it, I saw a video and she said that there was like a rape scene that came on and she was like finding her body was kind of stimulated by it. And she's like, whoa, I'm a feminist. This is this is horrifying to me. I'm scared. I'm repulsed. But my body is also, you know, responding to this, you know, the scene in this movie. And that's that is a very normal thing. It doesn't matter if you're interested in that. It doesn't matter if you're aroused. And they've done studies. I think it was uh, Manchester Metropolitan in the UK did the study where they put sensors, I don't know how exactly what these sensors were like, and then had people watch pornography. And then they had buzzers to say if it was something that, you know, they considered 
something that they thought that they were interested or, or that they thought that they were aroused by, there was only a 20% alignment with the body stimulus responding and the mental stimulus with women and a 50% with men. The rest of the time, it's completely inaccurate. Now, the reason this is important is you have a child or anybody else watching pornography and their body is telling them that this is what they like. Mm. This is very scary. It is um, completely takes us away from who we are, you know, what we really do like, what we really do want um, down these massive crazy rabbit holes when it's like, that's, they're like, oh, I'm totally turned on by this. This is what turns me on. And then the novelty needs to get higher and higher. And now you're like going into this, we've seen this explosion of people searching out child pornography. Hmm. That's because they're not as stimulated anymore and it's a drug and they want more. And it really does all start potentially with this, oh, wow, this is my thing. When it's yeah. not your, th it's not necessarily your thing. <laughs> so that's a, uh, it's another truth bomb. Not your thing. Well, <laughs> Might not be your thing. Well, actually, when you were talking, I kept <laughs> thinking about an episode of Law and Order SVU, where one of the girls was like, her boyfriend was like, "Well, she enjoyed it," and it wasn't that she enjoyed it, but it was just her body responding to it. Yeah. So okay. Oh yeah. So this is, a, thank you for reminding me. This is another great thing. Uh, um, it's not a great thing. I'm sorry. A great thing to talk about is when kids are sexually, anybody, and I know that there are people on there right on right now that you've been sexually abused. And I know that this stuff is nuts to talk about. So if you dive out, that's fine. Um, but when people are sexually abused, that body responding used against them, you this, you got an erection, whatever your body responded. And also what keeps people in therapy 40 to 50 years afterwards because their body responded or it felt good or whatever. Um, I have a I have an online course and we talk about that, how to I have a couple games to teach kids about um, autonomic body response. And we don't talk about it in necessarily in a sexual way. Um, it could be talked about later on, you know, if a boy has an erection or something like that. Um, but we just talk about, oh, isn't it funny how you get goosebumps or your eyes, you get the heebie or, you know, anything like that. Stand that the body can do, can and will do things. It's just, it's just called mind of its own is your body is different than your personal wants and desires. It's heavy stuff, but that's, um, that's one of the things that'll keep people in therapy for years and years and years later, because they just can't figure that part of it out. That's just such a massive conflict within them is um, their body betraying them or whether they wanted it or whether it was their fault. I mean, it's just this web of mental complexity around that. Now I have to ask you a question. Um, you're a sexual prevention, abuse prevention educator. What credentials did you have? What kind of schooling did you have for that? This is, um, 
I had people ask me at this a lot and I have to be very careful with it because I need to stay in my own lane. Um, my, I am totally self-educated on this. I speak everything that I've got and that I've acquired has been from speaking to therapists. Um, I interview, um, forensic investigators, child sexual forensic investigators, um, and survivors. And um, anything, anything I can get my hands on uh, as far as predators and how they have found that, how they've gotten access to kids. Um, and it, it's interesting because it's one of the one of those one of those things that you know when I was telling you about how I decided that this is what I was going to do is I. I was like, I am not qualified to do this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I am not, I don't have years of therapy. And, you know, I've just spent my whole life on marketing and talking and all this stuff. And um, I've really had to embrace that I don't need, I don't need that because other people have done that. I'm mm -hmm. a translator. I get the information that they okay. get and I translate it into a way that people can understand it. Um, and also, you know, I had a, a project where we were going to go into, um, uh, I was going to go into the prisons and talk because I was like, I, I really want to talk to these predators um, in person. And I, my therapist, who <laughs> I'm constantly talking to her for business reasons, or for this kind of stuff, you know, um, and also how to be trauma informed, you know, when I'm talking about this. And she was like, Emily, you can't do it. She's like, you people who work in prevention and around sexual child sexual abuse have like this much bandwidth before they burn out. Mm -hmm. She said, you go, you go in and you're going to get catcalled and a million other, th it's going to be traumatic. They're like, you're a decent looking woman going in to talk to sexual predators in the sexual crimes unit. She was like, you're taking about 50% of your bandwidth before you burn out. She was like, you need to protect yourself so you can keep doing the work. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it. She's like, there's other people that are in there already talking to them. Um, you, you work with them who works, who were working with them. So it's, it's, um, I'm not, you know, I'm not really qualified as a therapist. I just translate. I'm a translator. But you've done the work as far as research. You're not just all of a sudden come out of the blue and say, okay, this is what you need to do. Da, da, da. Oh gosh, no. In and worked with other people that know what they're talking about. And you're like, like you said, you're translating into more maybe kid friendly or, are adult friendly, you know, yeah, most, trying to say? yeah, most of my stuff is on how to get parents to do this because they just can't, won't, it's an odd resistance. Um, and we have how we were taught to talk about sexuality and by, by our parents and their parents, parents, whatever. And we've got how we were taught and then we've got how we need to talk about it. And it's been an exponential evolution really because of the internet. I mean, there is almost nothing that happened in our talk that applies here. It's a completely different world. There is nobody 
that's had the talk appropriately that's having kids yet. I mean, and it just changes, it changes constantly. It really yeah. does. Like what the kids are getting into and, you know, kids being blackmailed. We, nobody told us like, you can't send nudes to people or they're going to blackmail you. Or if anybody gets a picture of you naked, make sure you come to me and I'll help you and don't commit suicide. I'll talk, I'll talk with you about it. I mean, that wasn't, that wasn't part of our talk. It's not. And, you know, uh, as you know, sexually transmitted diseases. I mean, kids definitely need some more help around that right now, but, uh, teen sex is down. Kids are not having sex as much as they were before. Teen pregnancies are down. What our parents are, were worried about, we wish we were wor worried about it now. <laughs> you know? So it's, um, yeah, it's just a different world and it's, it's changing. And I'm constantly tapped into the tech stuff um, and the stuff that's going on with the porn and the trafficking and, um, I don't know. I thought about going to school and I was like, how long does it take for the content that's currently happening now to be approved in that kind of a curriculum? Mm. I it, it's, I mean, how many years? And then I'm, I look at like the statistics, I'm constantly looking at stats because I want to give accurate information and not... Mm scare people inappropriately because that's just as damaging. And some of the stats are from 10 years ago. That's totally irrelevant to me now. Yeah. And with the, like you said, online, more online COVID people are staying home more. They're more, I think they're more susceptible now because they're online 24 seven, just about if the parents oh, yeah. are watching them or aren't controlling them because the parents, let's face it, parents are right now, the ones that have younger ones and trying to homeschool and everything else are they're at their end. Mm. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I only have one and our TV watching time went through the roof. You know, my daughter's not allowed on any devices, um, but there's no shame. I'm sorry. If you're, if you want your kid to watch TV all day long in, in times like this, <laughs> I am not judging you, <laughs> but in reality, kids are so much safer riding around their bikes and um, climbing trees and, you know, send them out with a pack of friends, let them like get into a little fight and figure it out and skin their knees and come home crying. And, you know, that's, that's life. You know, we bought our the pack of kids that my daughter runs with some ropes and they were, they made jump ropes and then they made this like horse and cart thing and we're dragging each other around. And, you know, it's like, uh, perfect. And everybody was like, you just got them ropes. So I was like, yeah, it was like a week's worth of entertainment for like a couple ropes, cotton ropes. <laughs> I mean, what kids being kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. It's hard though. I will say even, you know, with, with the stuff that I do, I know the stats, I know all the sex trafficking stuff and it's hard. It's hard to go, yeah, walk, walk down the street or go grab a carton of milk or, you know, it's scary, but you've yeah. really just got to push through that fear because there's massive benefits to um, kids experiencing life. So, yeah, that's true. So is there anything else you want to share before we hop off? 
Um, you know, I want to share a couple more of my books that I like. These are books that I always um, bring when I do live presentations. Um, let me see if I have my favorite book here. So um, this is my absolute favorite book. I think it was written in the 80s, 70s, 80s, which is right when they started recognizing child sexual abuse. Um, it was in, I think it was uh, like 76, 1976, when it actually became a federal offense or a federal laws around not sexually abusing wow. kids. Wow. Um, but this is totally dated. But um, the story, she goes, she's got an uncle, he smells like cigarette smoke. He always brings them a bag of candy and he wants her to sit on his lap and she doesn't want to. So she's talking to her mom and there's all this talk about, she's got a baby brother and they talk about body, um, uh, body safety, but also that babies need to be taken care of. And like a lot of, it, it covers everything, going to the doctor, and she tells her uncle, no, I don't want to sit on your lap. And she ends up, it, it ends up being no big deal for her. And she's like, oh, I didn't know I could tell adults no. It's the perfect body safety book. Um, and then this is another one. I read the comments on Amazon on it. And um, people said that there was child pornography in here. And there's uh, drawings of kids naked in here. And um, to me, it really isn't, um, it's not what I, it's, I mean, there's like, it's like that. They've got, it's like body anatomy. It's like elbow, back, neck, wrist, thumb, anus, penis, neck. It's just like, this is just bodies. These are just what bodies are. Um, it does have stuff in there that you might not want your kids exposed to quite yet. So read through it, rip pages out, put stickers over the whole thing, um, read it together. Um, but it's a really great book about bodies and how bodies develop and um, pregnancy. I think it's a good book. It's kind of done in a comic book form. Um, but it's a good sex ed introduction, which um, I think it's for age four years old and up. But read it yourself before you share it with your kids and edit sure. out. And it's, yeah, and just know that all of this stuff, there's going to be stuff that don't, that doesn't jive with your religion, your traditions, you know, it can't, it's not going to be perfect for everybody all the time. I just know that everybody has their own judgment and can edit and even approach, you know, there's, there's a part of it where somebody has two moms. If you're not into that, then talk about it. Talk about it with your kids. Well, why that doesn't fall in line with your re religious views or just take it out, you know, mm -hmm. that's all. <laughs> and if, if anybody wants to reach out to me, obviously on Facebook, um, I'm not on social media as much as I used to be um, for mental health reasons. <laughs> and um, my website is howtoraisemaverick.com. And there's a few free resources on there or just send me a direct email. I'm always excited to help everybody. So, yeah. 
Well, Emily, I want to thank you for coming on. You certainly opened my eyes to some things, even though my daughters are 18 through 25 now. I, there are some things that I wish I had done differently now. So hopefully well, the parents now that actually can do things differently. And I just want to thank you for coming on. Yeah, don't forget anytime. I've got more. <laughs> All right. Take care. All right. We will see you on the next chat from the Bog Cabin. Bye, guys. Y'all, that was such a great chat with Emily. I was just totally blown away. There were a few times that, that there were a little bit of glitches, but I felt like if I cut anything out, it wouldn't have served the purpose of what the whole chat was about. Um, so bear with the glitches. It's just me being vulnerable and telling you exactly how it is. It's That's me in real life. Mistakes happen. Um, things happen and we just kind of roll with it. And so that's one of the whole things about this podcast is how thing, we have to roll with things. So I really hope that you learned a lot from um, Emily. I never even would have thought of when my girls were younger, taking them to the zoo and talking about prey and stalking and how the lion... Um, stocks is prey honestly that would have never even um, crossed my mind to even phrase it that way so children aren't so scared of the stranger danger um this was a great chat i'm going to continue to have chats like this in the upcoming episodes as well i have amazing people coming on so i can't wait for y'all to learn more and remember to subscribe and to leave a review because that helps these chats get in front of a lot more listeners and it could help somebody else's children as well. And most importantly, keep chatting.